Hello, everybody, and welcome to What's the Story Podcast, WTS 275. Yeah, 275. Yeah, yeah. I doubted myself there for a second. I was like, uh, anyway. Don't be looking to me anyway. Yeah. Uh, I'm Danny Murray. I'm Graham Merrigan. And Meryl, who has joined us this week? A returning guest who is starring on RTE's Ultimate Hell Week. It's the one and only, our best friend, Ashleen Daly. How are you, Ash? You? I'm very well, thanks. Thanks very much for having me on, guys. Delighted to be here. Bit out of practice at this now these days, but... Uh... Like <laughs> yeah, because the last time we were talking, uh, you were starting your uh, journey and becoming a teacher. How are you getting on with that? I'm in fourth year now, so I'm in my final year in Pats. Yeah, so I'm nearly out the gap. It's been uh, it's actually gone kind of fast the last few years. I think with COVID, like you kind of feel like take two years away from that because they were just a blur. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I'm loving it. Yeah, loving teacher life. Great, yeah. It was a brilliant decision to go back, so uh, I'm happy out. And is it primary school or secondary school? Oh, primary school, Jeannie Mac, yeah. I'm gay for those teenagers. <laughs> the, the primary school kids, like, they're still at the stage where they think you're great, you know, like, my teacher's great. No, yeah. The teenagers aren't like that at all. So are you actually teaching a class now, or? No, no. So for the fourth semester and fourth year, we are on campus, so it's all lectures and classes and all the kind of stuff. And then after Christmas, we're out on our final placement then in schools. And then hopefully after that, I'm qualified. And by next September, I'll have my own class. Oh, well. I know, yeah. I tell you, they, they, they do worse than having you as a teacher, Ash, to be fair now. Yeah. It's weird though, right? Because I, I tend to remember most of my primary school teachers were sound like. Yeah. And you're right, you do. Because when you were younger, you did have to kind of like, you know, you looked up to your teacher as like, oh, yeah, my teacher sound, my teacher's form, my teacher. And you get the secondary school and you're like, that lad's a prick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But even even when you were at home in in primary school and you were misbehaving, like your mom would say, "I'll tell Miss Rohan." My my first and second class teacher was Miss Rohan. She was a saint, and I loved her. And my mom yeah. would be like, "I'm telling Miss Rohan you did this, that, or the other." So then I'd be automatically very, very good. <laughs> I love my primary school teachers, though. You but didn't want to let her down. Exactly. As well, like because like for for like teachers, like we're just a little blip in a 30-year career or whatever. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, here we are in our 30s still talking about teachers we had when we were six and seven. Like, so Yeah, yeah. You'll know, be leaving an impression, Ash. You'll be leaving an impression. It's mad. It just goes to show you the impact that one person can have on, like, another human's life. Like, so if you get a bad teacher, imagine your first and second class teacher had been awful. Yeah. We'd probably be having a different conversation now. But even when I was in primary school, I had a great teacher in fifth and sixth class. And she's one of the reasons why I decided to go back into to teaching. Like, ah, amazing. I was just going to say, yeah, what was the reason that got you going? Is it because of your fifth and sixth class teacher? Yeah, definitely. She played a big part in it. And then after retiring then from MMA, I was coaching the kids program out in Swords and I really enjoyed it. Like, so I kind of done a little life inventory and I was kind of thinking to myself, like, what are the things that I do that kind of bring me joy? Like, and then, one of the things was coaching the kids and somebody suggested would I not go back and do teaching at the time I was like oh god four years in college now that's a big commitment I don't know whether I can do that and then I just sure I had nothing else to be doing so yeah 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 I decided yeah I'd go for it and sure here I am like best decision I ever made like ah, that's class and it, it's like not to be all kind of hippie about it or anything like that but it's like it's one of the it's a real vocation kind of thing isn't it it's kind of like once you're in it, you're doing it for the greater good. Like, so fair play to you. Thanks very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like I the, the the four years college thing would have intimidated me now because 
I like the idea of being a teacher as well, but I don't know if I could apply myself. I didn't apply myself in school. I'm not going to apply myself. <laughs> it is a grueling L course now. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Like, like all the things I've done considered, I'm still like cheating back the assignments, the, the pressure. It's all about like being productive on the course. Like they're always looking for something from you. So it is tough going. Um, so this is the last year though, yeah? Yeah, this is the final year, thankfully. I don't know what it was last year, five. And then you can apply for jobs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I'll be able to apply for, uh, for jobs probably from April or whatever. So, oh, looking for somebody. <laughs> yeah. Are you, you going to go back to your old school? Uh, probably not. No, I probably won't go that direction because I'm living on the other side of the city now at the minute. So, uh, right. handier, go somewhere in closer proximity. <laughs> uh, yeah. And these, is this the still thing primary school teachers do, do you have to have Irish and all that still? Or yeah, that- you do. Yeah. So, so- uh, yeah, well, my Irish is pretty good now. When I first started the course, I was definitely out of practice. You know, I hadn't done Irish probably for about 12 years. Yeah. And now uh, now I have a, a major grow for the Gaelic. So, um, I look at you. Yeah, real so, I know. Yeah. If anybody runs into me and uh, they want to have a little chat in Irish, uh, I'd be more than happy to. Ah, you'd be sorry you said that now. Some weirdo will come up to you on the street and I'll be like, oh, <laughs> go with that. Yeah. That's class though. Like what, what did you have to do to kind of get the 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 lingo back or it just practicing, just finding people to chat to. Really? Did you do that? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So there's things called pop-up Gael talk nights. So we have them like once a month in a few different pubs around the city centre, and you can just like pop in, have a chat with other people and, and just practice your Irish like and brilliant. I've done a few other things like, you know, on social media, following people who like posted an Irish on their account. So like I was just trying to get as much input in Irish as I could to try and improve it. When I'd be in the car, I'd have like Spotify playlists on in, in Irish, just trying to get used to the sound of the language and yeah, just practicing. Yeah. And just every time I saw a word I didn't understand, I just like uh, look it up in the dictionary or whatever and just like gradually gradually just trying to chip away and improve like I'm not fluent by any stretch of the imagination but uh like like I'm pretty decent like I can have a conversation and I'm far far better than I was when I started the course like did but I actually find... really enjoy it like so I was gonna I say did love, you find... love 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 to speak Irish most people when they're adults and they go back to it they say they love it far more than you know the of course, the way we're taught it in school is terrible. I think if it's forced down your throat and it's that kind of like rote learning where you're just repeating things and mm-hmm. like you don't see it as like being a, a living language, you kind of see it as a subject at school that you just have to memorize all these things off. Yeah. But when you kind of start to look at it as a living language and think that there's people in parts of the country, that this is the language that they use every day to communicate with their children, their husbands, their wives, whatever it just makes it a lot more interesting and then like some of the kind of historical aspects of the language, like, um, like it's just a beautiful language, like, and there's so much like history and stuff entrenched in the words that you don't even yeah. think about. And um, whereas that all the kind of stuff has appealed to me since I started to go back as a, as an adult, whereas like you said, when you're in school, you're just like, <laughs> you don't even know what you're saying. You're yeah, learning yeah. poems and all. Every essay you had to write in Irish would always include Gatubin. <laughs> <laughs> you'll have to uh, you'll 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 have to do lesson plans saying for me and Meryl. Forget the primary school kids. There's a couple of yeah, yeah. year olds here who are like, hey, teach me, teach me. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. But I, 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 I used to hate in primary school when the, when a teacher would 
would come into the class to your teacher and they'd start talking in Irish and you're like, oh, I wonder what they're saying. That, that, that'll be you now, Ash. I hope not. I hope the kids in the class actually have a decent enough level of Irish that they'll be able to understand the conversation. Because yeah. that's another thing that actually kind of irks me a little bit, that teachers would have so little confidence in the understanding of the children that they feel like they can have a conversation mm. in Irish in front of them and that the kids won't understand. Like, there's definitely something wrong yeah. there. Like, you're kind of using it as like a secret language or something like it's real exclusive to be like, oh, well, we know Irish and you guys will never have this level. So we'll like chat yeah, away yeah. in front of you and you yeah. won't know. Like, it's just a weird approach to it. Like, there's I've definitely really- something wrong when I was getting it. I think I got a C1 in my junior cert, France and French and a, and a, <laughs> a D1 in Irish. Like, half it could have been the enjoyment of it, it depending on what approaches the teachers took, like your French teacher might have been better crack and had kind of more imaginative ways of teaching you. Whereas your Irish teacher might have been just like, take out your book page two and just learn that off by heart. And Paddy Banan, my French teacher, was obsessed with France. <laughs> he, yeah, he was actually, wasn't he? He was obsessed yeah. with France. I don't dying. think I've ever had a French teacher who wasn't obsessed with France. Oh my God. He was dying for us to do like uh, student exchanges and all. Yeah. Oh, he was obsessed. I actually seen him the other day and he hasn't aged a day. He must be nearly 80. He'd have to be. Yeah. Did you have him as well, Dan? I did. Well, he retired when I was in either third or fourth year. So I think I had him up as far as junior cert. But he was, and he was an Arsenal fan. Yeah. I always remember because at the time, Arsene Wagner was the Arsenal manager and it was just full of French players. So he was in his element. Element, yeah. (laughs) Love French. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, right, so how long are you retired from MMA now, Ash? What was that, tr- four, yeah, five years? Yeah, well, yeah, about that, yeah. So I haven't fought since 2015, but then I didn't officially retire till 2017 because mm. I was supposed to fight in 2016. Yeah. And then I got injured, and then that's what happened then, yeah. So. And you miss it? Uh, I do, yeah. I do miss competing. Like, you know, it's kind of... um. Like, it's weird, like, the longer it's gone, like, the kind of less I miss it. But then there's some days where I'm like, oh, Jesus, like, I, I'd love to be be fighting again. But I've so much going on at the minute, like, that I'm yeah. really enjoying doing. Like, I definitely feel like I, I have, like, a sense of fulfillment out what I'm doing now. That's probably even bigger than what it was when I was competing in MMA. MMA seemed like a kind of purely selfish endeavor. Whereas what I'm doing now, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of making a difference or I am going. What do you mean selfish endeavor? Like, it's only for, like, you're doing it for you. Like, you know, I never felt like I was doing it for anybody else. Like, I wanted to be a world champion. I wanted to be the best in the world. I wanted to achieve my goals and dreams. And I'm not saying that what I'm doing now, I don't feel a certain element of, like, oh, I want to be this and I want to do this. But I'm not the priority. I feel like because of my background and the things I've done in my sport and career and how I am as a person, I really feel like I can have a positive impact on the children that I teach. So my focus now is not about me. It's about what I can do to help children achieve their potential, especially because my background is so bizarre, like for a teacher, like you're not going to get many other teachers that have been um, like professional MMA fighters before they turn into teachers. Breaking up the fighting yard by sticking an old arm bar on a kid. Like <laughs> <laughs> Teaching them how to apply this mission safely. So. <laughs> We have to respect the tap, children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, so you, you mentioned as well that like you were coaching kids and that, and I think at once that maybe you're still doing it. You were doing like jujitsu, like defense classes for for ladies as well to try and help them. Is all that stuff still going on for you as well? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, while I'm still in college, so I'm, I'm coaching out in Team KF and Sword. So I yeah. run the kids program out there and I run the women's program out there. So we have like women who come along and want to kind of learn self-defense and stuff like that. But we also have like a really competitive women's team. Like we had the Irish Open there just last weekend and won the girls at Purple Belts, like double gold in her division and the open weight class. So Brilliant. we have, we're we're catering to all kinds of, of women who want to train, like whether you want to do it for self-defense or if you want to be a world or European champion, like the options are there for you. And, and that's really fulfilling and really rewarding as well. Like to see people come in the door who maybe like think that they're not going to be able for it or they're just kind of uncomfortable because it is a male dominated sport. And even though the women's class is going on in the gym, there's still guys around and yeah. just to see after a few weeks, get them getting more comfortable and, and even transitioning then to the, the mixed classes is, is brilliant. So, uh, yeah, like uh, everything's just great. Like I'm just having a great time with, with coaching and college. And yeah, I'm actually, to be honest, I'm a lot happier now than I would have been when I was competing because I see the bigger picture of like how the world kind of works a bit more, whereas you're yeah. so kind of narrow minded, you have tunnel vision when you're competing. You don't really see how things actually are for people or you lose a little bit of empathy because you just want to get to your goals. You want to just achieve your things. Whereas yeah. now I guess so much more fulfillment of helping other people reach their potential. Is that why, is that why MMA stars are gone very unlikable? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why MMA like, stars are gone very unlikable. I think some of it is like an act, like they're gone very kind of like WWE-esque. And I think because... Connor was so successful with being that kind of the heel, like the unlikable, the one-liners, all that kind of stuff. I think people think that's the blueprint. So yeah. if they want to be successful in the sport, then they have to act like that. Because like it is a little bit like nice guys finish last. It's the people who speak the loudest, who are kind of the most obnoxious, are the ones that are getting the most attention in the UFC at the minute, it seems anyway. So you actually agree with me that there are unlikable stars Nowadays. Oh, 100 percent Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that going on where you're just like rolling your eyes, like even yeah. like Mayev and stuff like that being built up to be the superstar and you know, like his uh, political affiliations and, and you know, people he seem hanging out with and like the UFC aren't doing anything to kind of like say, well, actually, we don't agree with his political affiliations and we've seen mm. these posts he's putting up. Like they're not doing anything to kind of like curtail that. They're just, oh, Chamayev, he's a beast, he's doing this, oh look at my of killing people in fights this is brilliant like you know do you think know, you have an obligation to do that Ash? um i don't think they have an obligation to like censor anybody like I, I think what fighters do in their personal and private life has to be definitely kept separate but i kind of feel like there's other fighters maybe in that division who aren't as inflammatory who get less airtime than yeah. he does so it might be like there's probably not the same kind of uh, equity and airtime given to to fighters based off of their achievements rather than like them being inflammatory or obnoxious or or whatever like you know it seems to be the obnoxious people sell more tickets yeah i was gonna say i think it's 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 the power of money isn't it really like that's you know they're, they're gonna look for who's gonna get eyes and who's gonna sell pay-per-views and not necessarily selling pay-per-views because of their technique they're selling pay-per-views because they're the ones that have talked the most amount of shit and therefore the attention is on them um, like Colby Covington is another one that comes to mind with some of the antics he was pulling and you're kind of like oh Jesus man would you just shut up like you know yeah it's actually um, annoying it's not entertaining yeah yeah and would, would you still actively watch as well Ash or would you, like have you kind of gone, ah, do you know what like I don't need to see this shit anymore like 
No, I, I to be honest, I rarely ever watch. And uh, to, mm. to be honest, I never really did. People always find that bizarre. Like mm. I was never an MMA fan, like compared to some people. Yeah. I was always an MMA competitor. Like the divisions that I'd follow would be the division I was in, the divisions that my teammates were in or could potentially be in. You know, you'd be kind of like looking at guys that they, they might come up against or, you know, potential competition for yourself. But I was never kind of like every time UFC was on sitting up till three in the morning to watch fights like I'd much rather be in bed early and then get up and go and train and myself the next day I, yeah. I was always much more into doing the sport than watching it and even now like I, I would enjoy watching fights but all the kind of build up to the fight and stuff like that I just have no yeah. no interest in that especially when you feel like it's manufactured would, would it be fair to say kind of you, you'd enjoy the jiu-jitsu a lot more than the actual MMA then or is that in terms of watching probably not like some of the high level jiu-jitsu matches like they nearly did better they like the more highly skilled opponents like the more evenly matched they are sometimes the more boring the matches are mm. so even in terms of jiu-jitsu well, I, I'm more a fan of doing it than, than, yeah, than yeah. watching it the same like you know probably sounds a bit strange but I'd rather be just out doing something than watching it and that's not saying that I won't watch it or I wouldn't sometimes want to watch it you know like ADCC was on a couple of weeks ago like that's like the Olympics, the submission grappling. Yeah. So some of those matches were amazing. So, you know, I watched some of those, but um, I'm not always like like watching everything all the time or like yeah, yeah. avidly, avidly watching it. I'd be the same. I wouldn't, watch, like I wouldn't watch wheelchair basketball at all. Yeah. Not I don't me. play any sport, but I just watch them all. So I, <laughs> I can't really get involved in you this watch them all. So, <laughs> but uh yeah, it's like it's mad, right? Because even there, just probably hit record, we we're talking about it, and it's basically it's seven years to the day since we first had you on this podcast, and just sort of so much has kind of changed in that time as well. But hearing you talking about kind of getting the enjoyment out of doing the coaching and working with kids, and then moving on to teaching and all that, it's it's mad how your trajectory has kind of changed from that, like you were saying, that very, I'm not calling you self-centered, but that self-centered <laughs> outlook an MMA fighter needs to have. To now you're looking and you're kind of saying like, no, I've got a lot of shit I can pass on to people. I can help people with. It's it's deadly. Like it's great to see that. It, it feels really good. Like you know, just my whole perspective has has shifted. And sure, when I retired from MMA, I had no idea what was in store for me. Like there was definitely mm. like the first year after retirement, I was just like kind of aimless and like definitely like sort of depressed not knowing like what was for me because I didn't decide to retire I kind of felt like the the rug was ripped out from under me and then just kind of for all the pieces to kind of fall together and fall together better than they were when they fell apart it's just like I feel so lucky like you know really grateful the way things have have worked out and I know it probably sounds really boring to some people be like, oh, look at her. Like, she's all sweetness and light. She's all delighted. Like, things worked out the way they did. Oh, she's not even sad about her MMA career ending or something like that. But sure, it is what it is. Like, I was sad for long enough and I've just and, moved past that. Like, and anyone who thinks like that, get in the fucking bin, Ash. Absolutely. <laughs> get, get in the bin. In the bin. <laughs> um, so, come here, Roy. So, you at the moment are on people's television sets. Uh, box. <laughs> yeah, you're one of the contestants in Ultimate Hell Week. Um, Hell Mad Week. bitch. Yeah. I'd like, <laughs> right, go on. Tell us what what's it been like. It was a really tough experience. Like all, all things considered, it was like one of the hardest things, if not the hardest thing I've ever done. But there was definitely loads of stuff from MMA training that like helped me prepare for it. Accidentally, like I found it on very short notice. Uh, about mm. the show so it was filmed in may 
So I got a call, uh, it was the start of May. So I got a call in April. And as part of our degree, we have to go to the Gwale Talk for two weeks. So I was a couple of days before I was going down to Kauru and Connemara. I was going for two weeks and I got the call and they were like, look, um, would you like to do Hell Week or would you be interested in doing it? Um, it's a charity thing and this and the other. Now, I hadn't watched the show at all, so I didn't really know what I was being asked. You didn't know what you had looked No, I didn't know what I was getting myself in for. So, but they said it was for charity and they kind of explained a bit about it. And I just said to myself, look, sure, like this is one of those things. It's for charity. You're going to look like an awful wagon now if you don't actually do this number one. So I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And then they were like, okay, yeah. So I was filming at the start of May or whatever. So I was down the Gwail Talk for two weeks and I, I obviously train all the time anyway. Like I'd be kind of lifting and, and doing jujitsu training and all the kind of stuff, but I don't do any running. And I knew that was going to be a big part of the show. So anybody, so I was staying with like a ban and tea and other people out my year in college. So I'm doing the undergrad. So the majority of my classmates in college are 20, 21. So they're all down to the Grail Talk. They're for the whole experience, you know, nights out in the local pub, all that kind of stuff. And there was me knowing I was doing Hell Week. So I'm doing my Irish classes nine to six every day, going to bed at like nine o'clock, getting up at like five or six in the morning then to go running with like a weighted backpack on. <laughs> and all my classmates just think I'm insane. Like, and I can't explain to them what exactly I'm doing because we're not supposed to tell anybody who's going to be on the show or anything like that. So I am just this nutty L one in the middle of the grail talk, <laughs> <laughs> running around at six in the morning, up the hill of Connemara with a weighted backpack on me. Like. <laughs> oh my God. I was like, if anybody actually sees me, and there would, there'd be people out walking their dogs and everything, you know, they'd be like, oh, Majima. And I'd be just like, <laughs> like, I can't explain. Hopefully it'll all make sense to you when you see me on the telly. Like, so, um, I was only back then from the Gwail Talk a couple of days and then we were shipped off down down to Cork then to do the filming for, for Hell Week. Like, But um, yeah, it almost happened. I have to admit, when I watch it and even like there's there's the one, the charity one and then there's one where Joe Soap can do mm. and both of them, I understand the, the charity aspect of it as to why someone would do it. But in, in, in the sense of Joe Soap doing it I don't <laughs> why would you why would you do it I wouldn't have volunteered myself for that like I wouldn't have like sat down wrote an application form and been like hello please <laughs> put me into this show I'd love to do this like not not a hope like you know not a hope I asked I would have like obviously I did but uh that, that was a bit of pressure on me I wouldn't go seeking this out like you know what I'd like to be starved for a week and ran up and down hills, rolled around in the muck and like denied sleep. This is a great idea. Sign me up. Like it doesn't make and is, sense. Is it continuously well. recording? Like oh yeah. So basically, like there's no camera crew in the dorms or anything like that. There's cameras kind of embedded in the ceiling, so like mm. they're just constantly on you all the time. Which was really funny watching some of the footage back because like you forget that the cameras are there. Like everything, you're so busy, you're so sleep deprived you know, all that kind of stuff. You're not even thinking about the cameras being there. Like, and it's only then maybe after like you come out or maybe later on in the day, you know, you might be up in the drawing room and go, Jesus, I hope they didn't, I hope they don't put that in or, you know, something like that. You said that you're like, oh God, I hope my mad didn't hear me coursing. Or, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh God, this is going to be really bad. Like, but um, yeah, you just forget about it. Like there, there's this kind of sensory overload. You're just in this constant state of like alertness, like just like hyperactive kind of, what are you going to ask us to do next? Like, 
I'm, I'm just looking because like there's what was that like 20 of you at the start or something like that <laughs> yeah, so no. I've forgotten like some of the people and I'm just looking I'm like geez some lineup as well you know you've got Tyg Fleming who anyone over TikTok age will 100% very, very know Tyg and Dirty are great crack uh, Pamela Uber Billy Holland Fergus McFadden Satanta O'Halpin like John, Johnny Ward the actor uh, Blonda Tracy the broadcaster like these are people from all different backgrounds, disciplines, and everything. Someone has to, at some point, tapped out and said, "This is fucking off the charts." I'm, I, I can't yeah, do this. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And you see over the different episodes that sometimes it does get a little bit too much for people. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's one of those things. Like no matter what kind of training you've done or what your background is, this just hits you at all the levels at the same time pretty much so if there's any cracks in your kind of resolve or maybe you could be a little bit fitter or maybe you just like your home comforts or something like that the, the little voice in your head telling you that you can't do it is going to get louder like yeah and then uh, fortunately for me like especially a lot of people had trouble with the lack of food like i'm so used to weight cutting and all that kind of stuff people it's so hard being on so little food and we were on about 1500 calories a day Right, which is obviously not that much, but they reckoned our output was around five and a half thousand, six thousand with Jesus. all the activity we were doing. When I used to be training and I had a fight coming up, sure I could be on 800 or 1000 calories a day and training three times a day. Yeah, so I was actually I was laughing because people thought I was mad. I was like, This is twice as much as I'd normally <laughs> and I'm allowed carbs, like I'm living like an absolute queen here. Like, this is brilliant. <laughs> Like, oh yeah, get that banana and porridge into me. Lovely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All those years of torturing yourself and suddenly you're exactly. like, now it's paying off. <laughs> yeah, it's paying I, off. I didn't realize all my life had led up to this moment. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now the sleep was tough. Like, and as the week goes on, you'll see it in the episodes. Like, people are kind of like cognitively, they're kind of still there at the mm. start of the week. And as soon as it starts to kind of roll on, like even following basic instructions or being able to follow your own train of thought while you're having conversations, like like some of the guys, you'd be chatting away to them. I'm just like, what was I saying? Like, really? Like, yeah, like literally that bad. Like I'm just yeah. complete like blank stare, just like I don't even know what's happening here. Like, or somebody giving you instructions, you're like, can you repeat that? They would repeat it again. You still wouldn't get it. Can you repeat it again? And especially if it was one of the DSs, they'd just absolutely rip you out of it. Like you, they wouldn't tell you a third time. Like, so it's just like, oh, it was literally like, I don't know, some immense level of brain fog I've never experienced before. Like, like you, know, you wouldn't know your own name, like that kind of level Jesus. of brain fog. Like, Sometimes like you only get 40 minutes sleep. Like, yeah, that's... Uh, why? Because that's the way, what they want to do. They want to try and break you down. So like, say from my background, I'm used to physical stuff. I think that are yeah. physically difficult. That's not really going to bother me. Like I'm used to not really eating that much. That's not going to bother me all that much. I'm pretty much grand with every other kind of like... Uh, phobia task except heights I'm terrified of heights but so with all those things how are you going to get somebody like me it's probably going to be the sleep because I there's no way for you training for no sleep mm. and it'll be counterproductive anyway and that was the same for most of the guys like say the likes of Satanta and stuff like that like he's so physically strong he his mental resolve is so strong he's afraid of nothing but then you're not giving him any sleep and he's a six foot seven hundred kilo man so eventually that's going to start to break him yeah. down. It's just they're targeting you from all angles. Like they will find your weakness and exploit it. Like. And you're, the, the charity you're doing this on behalf of Jigsaw. What, what made you do for, for Jigsaw? 
So we have a, a long-standing relationship uh, with Team KF and Jigsaw. We've been doing fundraisers for them over the last few years, even during COVID. They had different kind of campaigns where it was, you know, like run 5K. And like mm-hmm. I, I think we had a team goal that we had to run 10,000 kilometers or something like that as a team. So people were chipping away at it over the course of the week to, to add up to the 10,000. So it was kind of a no-brainer for me then when they were trying to, when they were asking which charity we wanted to represent, like, uh, especially because we have so many young guys and girls in the gym. We especially have a a lot of uh, young guys, obviously, just with the sport that it is. And over the the past few years, we've had different teenagers and different young men in our club uh, who've had mental health issues. Like one year, like, unfortunately, we actually lost one of our young guys and, due to mental health issues so it's just one of those things where I feel like it's something that's really important I always believe in like prevention rather than cure so for me with Jigsaw it's basically if you can teach people the life skills to be able to manage their own mental health or recognize when they need to look for help and show them where the help is and where they can go and get it I feel like that would help rather than waiting until people's mental health deteriorates and they're not really in a position to be able to help themselves or they're in such a fog or in such a bad place that they don't know where to go so the kind of workshops and stuff like that that jigsaw do and just the fact that they do like online services and stuff like that which is obviously way more accessible to young people i just really appreciate the work they do and i I feel like their their mission is a really valid mission so so that's why i decided to go with jigsaw Brilliant. And I, I didn't realise that, that uh, Team KF had the long-term association. That, that makes it even better again, like, do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And, in, like, so, and how, how did Tom and Chris react when you told me you were going on it? Um, I think they thought, both of them thought that the heights thing would get me. But <laughs> other than the heights thing, like, they were just like, you're made for this. Like, anybody that kind of, like, even, like knew that I was going, like, were just like, oh, you're made for something like this. You're made for something like this. Oh, we'll see if the heights doesn't get you. You know, the kind of way. And even like the, the helicopter jump that was there a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Like I was talking to people beforehand and I was just saying to them, like, um, like, don't be surprised if you see me home, you know, like early, because if they make me do anything with heights, I might not be able to do it. Like I'm absolutely like hysterically petrified of heights. Like if I'm in the shopping center and I'm on the second floor looking over the barrier, I'm starting to get sweaty hands and <laughs> you know what I'm terrible. Where did like, that come from, Ash? I don't know. I, I don't think it's the most irrational of fears to be afraid of heights, but yeah. I, I've no like there's no like past experience with yeah. heights or anything like that 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 caused. Like I don't flying. know. I'm grand with flying. Like flying is not like it's something about like a kind of sheer drop. You know, mm-hmm. even if you're behind a barrier or something like that, um, there's just something like visually that just even if I was watching a movie, say, and you know, they sometimes they do those like big zoom out scenes, like going yeah. over a valley or something. <laughs> I'm like, oh God, I'm not hating for this. Like, well, you're not just hop up onto Chris Field's shoulders, do a few laps around the place. He's about 24 <laughs> foot tall, you know what I mean? Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. I've tried to do a few different things, like to try and kind of get over it, and it just doesn't work. Like, so I, like, I've climbed Karen Tuhul and done the, the L Devil's Ladder and everything, looking over the side. And yeah. those, those, like, those rocks with imprints of my fingers up and down <laughs> onto the thing. So, like, so intensely like I, it just doesn't seem to go oh, like I've done enough things where I'm like trying to push past it you know trying to yeah. overcome your fears all the kinds of, and it's always still there like um, listen look I'm it, heights I'm fine with but I won't stay in the same room as a wasp 
So, <laughs> and I've been around plenty of them. Do you know what I mean? I've told plenty of people before. There was one time it was driving down the N50. One came in the window. I pulled over and I got out of the car. That's it. <laughs> I was like, it's his car now. It's taxed and sure. Half a tank of diesel in there, man. Off you go, Mr. Wasp. Enjoy. <laughs> Have you ever been stung by a wasp, Danny? Yeah. Yeah. Is that, where, is, that where, is that where the fear comes from? No, the only thing I can think of is I watched my girl as a kid. That's exactly what uh, I was wondering. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah. convinced. Because up until then, I didn't know you could die from bee or wasp stings, ratting like that. <laughs> and then my brother started talking about killer bees. And I was like, of course, whoa, he, did. Of course he did. The fucking there's bees that are kill, killer fucking. So ever since then. And I've got older, I've kind of learned to deal with bees because they serve a purpose. We need bees. Do you know what I mean? Wasps. We don't we don't need them, so I haven't made me peace with them. I'm not all right with them. At I all. hate mice. Mice? Yeah. Why? Like, I just find them irritable. So, right, so it's not it's not a fear. You just dislike them. Yeah, no, it's not a fear. It's it's I just find them very inconvenient. <laughs> Have you had many encounters with mice? Um I had one under the floor in my room about four years ago right. and I was convinced it was a rat and then we got rent to kill and he said no they 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 uh that the, the noise of them under the floorboards or in the walls kind of trebles and quadruples and it actually sounds like a bigger bigger thing than what it is um and it took us ages to get rid of them well there was only one or two he put down the poison now and it took maybe three or four f- Days with the, the, the we we weren't convinced that it they it was a mouse, um, oh. and the noise was going on for about three or four weeks, and you're kind of like waking up during the night, and you're gonna go, what, what the fuck is that? What's that? And you're you're getting up and you're you're listening under the floorboard. Is that it? Is that it? And then my dad was saying that under the floorboard is, is cement. There's nothing. He's there. He had it in my head. He's like, it's all in your head. There's nothing under there. So then his mate, actually Danny's cousin Josh, came over and ripped a hole in the floorboard. And there was a hole, there was a hole like underneath of the floor that my dad thought was once cemented. <laughs> and the mice were there and they were caught, but I found them very um, inconvenient and uh, annoying. So they disturb your sleep mostly. That's why they were inconvenient. I was wondering why inconvenient. I was like, what were they doing? I was like, the same. I was like, oh, you interrupting phone calls. <laughs> interrupting valid- loudly, like, what, what were they doing? Like, yeah. Interrupting valuable sleep time is what they were doing. Hogging yeah. the bathroom, like, yeah. <laughs> using all the hot water. You know, <laughs> I went on a, I went on a monologue of a rant there about mice. So apologies, to this. and it, it, it wasn't even a phobia in the end. It was just a weird story about you with mice and you disliked it. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any phobias. <laughs> me, me and Ash are having this therapy moment talking about our fears, and we're like, Do you know what? I was inconvenienced by a mouse once. <laughs> I'm starting to see why Tom didn't like Jerry. That's. that's <laughs> <laughs> oh man Oi. oh god daddy would you go on ultimate week me yeah god no absolutely no can you one right like i mean did, all i had to say was they, they give you 40 minutes sleep and i'm when i go down for a nap i go down for two hours 
<laughs> so for, 40 minutes of a sleep is not a st- I mean, that's not even a rest to me <laughs> you're only getting started then you're only getting into it exactly yeah i'm only starting to blow little cartoon z's after 40 minutes you know, oddly enough the one thing i probably would do would be to jump out of a helicopter it'd be all right i think i'd be like you know, would you yeah yeah no, man. you I'm, wouldn't i absolutely would yeah into no, the sea into, yeah why not Gosh, what was that like Dick over there still so they sent like still pictures to us or whatever and I put up a couple of them from the heli jump like yeah. so it's me on the way up in the heli and the face on me I'm like holding on I don't know what I'm holding on to the floor <laughs> and I'm breathing so I'm like this like I don't know what I look like but I got a couple of messages and it was like uh, Annie Oaks <laughs> oh god I'm just so bad with heights like I was literally hysterical like I was the most terrified I've ever been in my life pretty yeah. much and the pilot like he was having like the best of crack so he was doing all these nose dives <laughs> and the heli on its side and all this stuff and and p who was with me peter finn pete the builder like he loves all that kind of stuff so you see yeah. him he's chatting to the pilot like you know having a great L time like he's chatting to a taxi man on a saturday night it's a busy tonight mate you know many customers lately and i'm doing the back like ah! <laughs> oh, yeah i that, that's probably the but if you'd asked me then to like stick my hand into like a beehive to receive a key for something no no none, none of that but jump out of a helicopter into a into a body of water grand okay what was the impact like ash uh probably not great for me like i uh, i uh, mid jump i tried to go into like the fetal position or something <laughs> so i landed kind of chest first <laughs> so the ds were going mental at me like that was a cluster fuck number six He's like, I know, I'm sorry. Because like, they gave us very specific instructions, like how we were supposed to jump, like to minimize yeah. impact and prevent injury. Like, and yeah, I just tried to do a bit of a, I don't know. I love how they call you your numbers. That was a cluster fuck number six. Sure. I didn't even know what my name was after a couple of days. But nobody was calling you by your name. I was just number six and that was it. Like, so the first night I came out, um, my friend Holly picked me up. And I stayed in her place, mostly because I looked in bits and I think she was worried about me. She was like, oh, God, she definitely can't go home. Like, So um, I was in bed, in bed a couple of hours. And I just woke up, standing beside the edge of the bed like this, <laughs> like as if someone was like, going to kick. I was like, you're, you're home, you're out. Like, <laughs> what are you, what are you, you survived. Survived, exactly. But it took me a couple of days to get back to normal. Like, just, yeah, like physically I was broke up anyway. Like I, you know, lost a bunch of weight. I had bruises all over me, scratches all over me, muck in places I didn't know muck could ever reach. Like I was just, yeah, I was in, I was in a bad way when I came out. Like physically you're just, yeah, you're just wrecked. Like. And then, and this is a question we always ask in this podcast regarding cheat meals and all that kind of thing. But I'm presuming after being lumped with something as disgusting, it's just porridge and bananas. That... <laughs> When you eventually got out and you realised you were out and you were like, hang on a second, I can have food again. Did you have yourself a blowout meal? Oh, yeah, I did. We had a nice big Indian. Yes. Yes. We had after, yeah. All the naan bread, all the rice. Nice, nice curry. Delicious. Naan bread does not get the credit it deserves. Oh, it's sensational. Love a good naan bread. It is. It's amazing. When it's well done, it is the king of the breads. Indeed. Indeed. And I don't (laughs) care what old man Brennan says. He can get (laughs) I think you have to get it in the restaurant though. Like when you get a takeaway, the naan isn't the same. I don't it's think. a tiny bit soggy, I think. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. travel well. Parcel it up like exactly. Yeah. It's, it's like when you get it's, it's arse is a little bit <laughs> the way they parcel it up. Oh, 
Do I need a translator for you, Mo? <laughs> I honestly don't know how how we went. Non bread, arse little. What she? <laughs> non bread, have an arse. <laughs> Does non bread have an arse? <laughs> have I been eating a non bread arse first? What have I been doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh man I, know, I just think it, it doesn't travel well if you get it delivered I just think it's like it's like if you get chip or chips they don't they're not they're not made for travel you know what I mean so <laughs> Jesus I miss naan bread yeah, yeah I'd, I'd love a naan bread and a nice karma they would partial to a karma I can't do the spice loads of chocolate in there as well though there was Ah, I would say nice. the, the production staff uh, that kind of look after you when you get out of there, like they're amazing. Like, yeah, Anne, Ollie, um, and Marie, they were amazing. Like, you came out and basically they just minded you, you know, they were just throwing beats <laughs> at you, giving you hugs, like, it, because literally you've just been through a week of abuse or whatever. So, <laughs> number six, all, yeah. yeah, all of a sudden these people are using your name and they're being nice to you and they're like giving you pats on the back and telling you how well you've done and all this kind of stuff. You're like, oh. Is this real? <laughs> this is not a trick, and they're going to just send me back in, right? This <laughs> sounds like you had a week in North Korea, not a TV show. <laughs> God, it'd probably handier having a week in North Korea. To be honest. Like, <laughs> at least you could just fade into the background if I had the right haircut and whatever. They're just leaving you alone. Like, <laughs> well, one of the assigned haircuts. So you're only allowed to get your haircut a certain amount. Listen, there, there's a certain uh, protocols for haircuts. Yeah, I could just get myself a nice bowl cut and just. Fade into the background. <laughs> Imagine they shaved your head and all the ultimate. Oh, God, that'd be rough now. I don't think I would have been able for that now. I've been growing this hair for a while now. I'm kind of attached to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would you do it all again? Oh, no, I wouldn't. Oh. <laughs> Definitely not. It's a one and done. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Like I said, especially the first time. Um, like I didn't know what I was getting getting myself in for. Like, like my boyfriend was a big fan of the show, don't care. And he was telling me, like, oh, this is gonna be happening, that's gonna be happening. And I was just a bit flippant about it. I was just like, oh look, it'll be grand. Like, don't like don't be annoying me with all that. Watch a few episodes and see what's happening. Sure, it makes no difference. I'll see when I get there, type ping. Like, and then when I got there and it was happening, I was like, Oh, maybe I should have watched an episode too. Yeah. But I'd say if I watched an episode too, like well, I definitely wouldn't have said no, but it would have been probably playing in my mind. Like, whereas yeah, I thought, yeah. it's, it's going to be hard. I don't know how hard. And what was Donica like when you said, oh, wait, let's tell you, I'm going on Ultimate Hell Week? He was delighted. He was like, oh my God, that's one of my favorite shows. Like, he was like, oh, this would be brilliant. Like, but again, the height thing, he was like, I don't think you'll make it through the height thing. Like, I think, I think you'll really struggle on that. Like, you know, the kind of way. And he'd be slagging me, he'd be like, oh yeah, I'll see you home Tuesday. We're like, you know, I was like, that's grand, that'd be grand. But uh, no, he was real supportive. Like, he just thought it was great. Like, deadly, deadly buzz. And even watching the episodes now, like, like so every Wednesday night, like, like religiously, like, sitting down to watch it together and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah well, that time you didn't do well there. Oh, you didn't come across great there, did you? <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. But uh, yeah. Even when I'm watching, I, I, as I said, I'm kind of going, why? <laughs> even, <laughs> even the 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 coaches, like they're so crabby, like they're so there's no smile, nothing. No. Even they bring you in one on one to interview. How do you think you did today, number six? Yeah, it's like they're allergic to happiness or something. Like that. there can't be any like. 
you know, no positivity, no like, yeah. like neutral is about as much as you can hope for from them. Like, but they're yeah. like that the whole time because people ask me, we're like, oh, when the cameras aren't around, are they nice to you or something like that? I'd say they're actually worse when the cameras aren't around because some of the stuff they're saying is actually so bad that I don't think RTE would actually be allowed show it like you know the slurs that they're using and stuff like that they're just like no this is like this cannot be actually televised so so this is not going in there like and that is there, class, isn't it like like anything in life like certain people did not gel at all so certain mm-hmm. ds's would actually really have less time for certain people there and would probably be a little bit harder on like one of us versus somebody else like you know and then just particular ds's would like freak you out more like Lockie, one of the DSs, had this like weird thing where he would stand when he was talking to kind of like at an angle to the side of your face. like So you'd only hear him in one ear and you could only see him out of the corner of your eye. And obviously you're not supposed to look at them. But it was really unnerving to have somebody shouting at you that you can barely see. You can only hear in one ear. It was kind of disorientating. And I was always afraid he was going to like hit me or something. Like it, it was irrational. But in my head, I was like, oh, God, he's going to swing at me. Like, you know, but he made me feel so uncomfortable whatever I was like it's obviously the way they're trained or something like that mm-hmm. these must be kind of skills that they they learn like but geez, really? he freaked me out more than anybody else like that that weird little shout in your ear thing I was like oh, yeah. don't I mean, hit me <laughs> like saying shut up you dope you're right oh, you just knew you were going to get sent home if that happened but it would be in your head like for the yeah. episodes like I'm really struggling they give you this metal bar and the thing weighs about seven kilos and you're supposed to pretend this is a gun like but you have to hold it a certain way like whatever way it's supposed to look and you'd swear the guy handed me a Rubik's cube because I could not work out for the life of me, like, what way to hold it up. I was like, is this the arse? Is this the elbow? <laughs> I was like, I, I don't know. And he takes the thing off me and puts it the right way around. And it did cross my mind for a second. I was like, ah, I had my hands on my hips. And I was like, just had a face. And then I took it back off. And then, but in my head, I was like, oh, I'm going to give you a bang of this. Like... <laughs> <laughs> you can't you do it and you're just gone like so how many episodes are left Ash um, so I think last week was week four and the seven in total so there's three more episodes to come and it's on RT on Wednesday nights yeah after mm. after the news and the weather so 9.35pm or to you and um, you competed recently in Jiu Jitsu how did you find that uh, yeah it was good crack yeah it was nice to jump in uh, well, the main reason why I jumped in it was a show called Grapple Queens so that uh, promotion usually runs a show called Grapple Kings and it's a mixed event. But this was the first ever time that they'd done an all-female card Brilliant. in Ireland. So uh, they asked me to do one. They asked me if I'd be the main event. Um, normally, I don't really like compete all that much in jiu-jitsu. I jump in every now and again, but like I'm training all the time, but not to the same intensity as I'd like to, to be able to compete. But sure, the first all-female card and the main event slot and all that kind of stuff. Like I definitely wasn't going to say no. So yeah, that, that's no gee, is it? Yeah, that match was no gi. It was actually supposed to be gi originally, and then I had a different opponent, and she pulled out. And then a couple of weeks before, then the girl I had the match with Priscilla stepped in. So, so it was great for her to, to jump in. And uh, yeah, it was great to just get the run out and whatever. It's great like to be on an all female card. And like I was telling people when I first started in jiu jitsu, like I there was no women doing it. I could, like I'd be going into the men's divisions in competitions, like like and I was only 17, 18 at the time. Like, um, I always tell that the story there was this uh, guy in the competition he was like the under 60 kilos under 65 kilo men's division like he was probably not that tall but he was jacked you know eastern european lad and uh in the match with me he went to pick me up and like slam me for a takedown and i managed to get hold of a guillotine choke as he was trying to slam me and i had it on super tight 
and he had no choice but to tap then like I got the finish or whatever and he stood up then he was holding his leg and got his teammate to come onto the mat to help like pick him up and carry on like, as if to say like oh she didn't she didn't get the tap like I busted my knee in the process yeah, I was whatever. injured yeah exactly took, yeah. took six was, months off to really sell it like <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> But yeah, wasn't seen back again for a year. <laughs> probably just out of mortification, probably like <laughs> but I couldn't get matches then. So like to come all the way past that, and not only is there like loads of matches, there's loads of divisions, and they're having an all women's card. Like sure, there was like 20 matches on the card. So there's probably at least 40 women grappling and competing on the same card. That's insane. Like for me, it's just like mind blown. Like yeah. you I went from having nobody, and then all of a sudden there's this like amazing like women's grappling scene that like sure I don't even know the ins and outs of it anymore there's so many women competing all over the country like I can't even keep track of it like it's absolutely brilliant like well you're probably too modest to think it but you paved the way for that for for stuff like that to happen absolutely look at and and I want to give a shout out to Shauna Bannon um because Shauna was very uh impressive in her win over the week or last week in Oklahoma but you talk to Shauna, like you, you paved the way for for stuff like that, you know. So I know you're too modest to accept that, but that's that's the reality of it. So well done to you. And well done to Shauna. Yeah, that was a brilliant performance on Invicta. Like um, she really got a chance to show off all her, her skills, like um, like how well rounded she's become now when she started. Like those kind of considered that she was just a striker and she had some beautiful jiu-jitsu, some really mm. nice submission attempts. Uh, excellent guard work. It was a brilliant performance by Shauna. Yeah, she she's a great girl and she's she's doing all the right things. Like you know, she's working away hard in the background and you know she she'll go as far as she she wants to go because she's putting the the work in. Like you know, she's a well, fantastic. Player. I was talking to her on the lead up to it. Just send her a few messages, and I was saying to her, fair play to her because I think this is our third, second or third different weight class. She just she takes any fight at any weight and. She drops the way she makes the way. And we, me and Danny, because we used to work with Shauna and the commitment from her in all the sports, she's applied herself unbelievably. Um, so I wish her nothing but success. And I do think she will, like you said there, she'll get to wherever she wants to get to because she was very, and look, she's fighting a very tough Mexican and Mexicans don't go down that easy. No, no, um, no. <laughs> and I was watching it and now I seen most of it Um and I was watching it just thinking, when is this woman going to go down? But she just wouldn't, she just wouldn't go down. But yeah, I think she'll she'll go to the top if she wants to go to the top. But you paved the way for people like Shauna Bannon. I definitely broke some ground for them, but like, sure, people have to put the work in by themselves. And it's kind of bizarre because there's such a gulf in, in who's come up after me. Like, you think about it, like, I haven't fought in seven years. How has there not been another female, an Irish female in the UFC over those seven years? I, I find that mm. kind of, Mad. I'm not saying that there's people out there that are not working, but there's definitely something missing or, you know, something has happened that there's such a gulf over that length of time. Like, sure, seven years is enough time for somebody to start training, get to a professional level, win enough fights at a professional level to then go and get signed by the UFC. It's like a long time. Like It's the same, though, as the art in the men's as well, because the likes of yourself and, and, and Chris and Paddy and Connor. And Cahill, that 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 was that Irish invasion, so to speak, at the time. There hasn't been, there's Ian Gary now at the moment, but there hasn't been what you're saying about, 
you know, it's been seven years. Why isn't there that influx of, of, of women competitors? I don't think there's been the same for, for, for men in terms of UFC. There's, there has been lads competing, but not at UFC level. Yeah, I, I don't understand it. Like, you know, I know different avenues work differently. Like uh, there's some guys who are coming up and they go to organizations like Bellator and PFL and that kind of stuff. And like they're recognized as not being the route to the UFC. Like um, mm. in the women's scene, like Invicta and Cage Warriors are primarily the feeder shows for UFC if that's where you want to, to compete. Like, so that's that's the way you have to come up. And and obviously Sean and competing with Invicta, like generally it's accepted whoever wins a title with Invicted then immediately get signed and move over to the UFC. So John yeah. is on the exact path that she wants to be on to make those, those jumps to, to the UFC. Like, and no matter what people are talking about the different organizations, like in terms of the sport, the UFC still is the premier league of mixed martial arts, no matter what or other organization you compete with, it's not the premier, it's not the premier league. So that's where you want to be, to be fighting the best in the world and to get the most prestige. Like I know some other organizations are paying more money and, um, like people make decisions for, for various different reasons and that's that's fine so if you want to compete with an organization to make more money and everything like I understand people need to do that to, to live like and I know the UFC pretty much do pay peanuts but at the same time it's kind of this toss-up between do you want the, the prestige and the glory or do you want the paycheck like so that's and it shouldn't have to be like that UFC should be paying for yours better but it is what it is that's how the land yeah, is they should be that's another night's work I know. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you what I want now. I don't have to tell any company lines. <laughs> exactly. Don't <Yeah. laughs> get me. <laughs> I, remember, I remember what you told me you made in your UFC fight after all the blood, sweat, and tears and training. I nearly got sick. Like I'd say, I owed more money than uh, <laughs> than I made by the end of it. Absolutely. I'll give you that money back. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Still IOUs going out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Probably still a few IOUs floating around. <laughs> so no, you want to be a fighter? <laughs> Say it again. So you want to be a fighter? That, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Looks sake, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, but uh, Ash, it's been great catching up with you, and um, fair play to you on doing Hell Week and Jigsaw, great cause, and everything else, and jumping out of helicopters. Uh, I can't wait to see it doing more height related activity. Uh, because it <laughs> sounds like. <laughs> That was a great entertainment. Um, I don't think we'll see you trying to climb Everest anytime soon. But uh, <laughs> and uh, then yeah, with, with college and everything else, and all the best with that. And uh, fingers crossed, whatever classroom you're in next year, you're teaching kids how to safely apply chokeholds and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Been all good so far, anyway, with the the kids' jiu-jitsu classes. So long may that continue. <laughs> That's it. Um, if people want to, to follow you or, or keep an eye on your escapades or if they want to take a look at Team KF and getting involved out there how, how can they do all that crack uh, you can follow me on social media so I'm I'm on all the usual platforms so yeah <laughs> Google Ashing Daily and you'll find me somewhere on one of them and we're always looking for new kids in the kids program in Team KF we're always looking for women for the women's program or the mixed program or whatever or if you're just even interested in self-defense or whatever and I'm always happy to answer questions and messages and whatever uh, from people because, yeah, it's, it's nice to get back to people if they uh, want to know a little bit more about you or what I'm doing or whatever. So thanks so much for having me on, guys. You've been brilliant, crack. I really oh, thank you. Thank catch you. up. And uh, your walkout will always be the greatest walkout in UFC MMA history. Thank there's you. a few people that have tried to rob that, but it's not as good. Look, you know, the original always wins. 
it, it's just everything that went along with it. You know what I mean? It was, it's just emotionally loaded and you can't recreate that emotional layer to the walkout just by playing the song. Agreed. That is very, very true. Mero, if people want to catch the previous 274 plus episodes of this audio presentation, where can they do so? They go to WTSPod.com or they can search WTSPod on any podcast provider, Podcast Republic, Stitcher, Podbean, Apple Podcast. Uh, we're at Twitter at WTSPod. He's at Danjo Murray. I'm at Mary Gamania. Until next time. Old Hell Week, Wednesdays, RTA1, 9.35. Ash to Bash Daily. It's been amazing. Clear eyes. Full hearts. Bad news.